but I suspect I better go a little further. Thank you. Two passages of scripture I want to share with us this morning for our thought. Uh, first is a brief section from the second letter to Timothy, Paul's letter to his young friend Timothy, and it's one, if not the last letter that Paul ever wrote, to uh, certainly that's included in Scripture at any rate. And Paul in the fourth chapter begins at the fourth, sixth verse with these words. You can follow that in your Scripture if you have it there. My life is already being poured out, and the time has come for my departure. I've had a part in the great contest. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Now the crown of uprightness awaits me, which the Lord, the upright judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved and hoped for his appearing. And he goes on talking to Timothy about how this end of life has meaning for him. And he recalls the difficult times he's had. As at my first appearance in court, no one came to help me. Everybody deserted me. May no one lay it up against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that I might make a full presentation of the message and let all the heathen hear it. So I was saved from the jaws of the lion. The Lord will rescue me from any harm and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Turning from that passage to our gospel lesson today. I've lost my page already. Let's try this again. gospel lesson is from the gospel of Luke, and uh, at the 18th chapter of Luke, beginning with the uh, ninth verse, is a story of Jesus. You'll find it there at the beginning of the ninth verse in 18 Luke. To some who were confident in their own uprightness and thought nothing of others. He used this illustration. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and uttered this prayer to himself. O oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, greedy, dishonest, or adulterous, perhaps like this tax collector here. I fast two days of the week. I pray to pay tithes on everything I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and didn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but struck his chest and said, Oh God, have mercy on a sinner like me. I tell you, it was he who went back to his house with God's approval and not the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Our gospel reading for the day. Having trouble keeping my pages straight here. I want to keep track of this other. Okay. 
Do we want to use the mic here instead? Would that, let's do that. I'm getting clatter that we don't need. Okay. <laughs> Pleased to be here, and I appreciate the invitation to come. I hope that your pastor quickly recovers from her stroke and uh, will be able to be with you in the immediate days ahead. And uh, we'll certainly keep her in our prayers and thoughts. Today's sermon is really a Bible study discussion about one of the many stories that Jesus told. We've heard the story in the children's sermon and heard it read again. But Jesus' teachings in the Gospels are filled with these earthy, down-home kinds of stories, aren't they? We We know a number of them, probably even know them by heart, I expect. Do you remember the one about the uh, Jesus uh, was visiting with some folks and there were two sisters in whose house he was a guest? And uh, Martha scurried about doing the usual hostess jobs while Mary chose to linger at Jesus' feet as he was teaching his disciples and hear what he had to say. And possibly the message there is which of these was the more important task. Again, he told about a woman who was caught in sexual liberties and a crowd of men who, catching her, were ready to stone her to death, which was a punishment given to adulterers. But Jesus, seeing all of this, said to the men, said what? Let him who is without this cast the first stone. And the men looked at each other, and one by one they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He told about a farmer who had such a big harvest that his barns wouldn't hold the grain. And so he decided he'd pull down his barns and build bigger barns, saying to himself that he could then be assured of a long and comfortable life. And Jesus called him a fool, a fool for thinking that life consists of the things we have rather than our closeness to God and to others. And of course, the very familiar story of the prodigal son and the loving father, we all know that story could be mentioned. Well, today's gospel lesson is another story about two men who went to the temple to pray. One man was a a Pharisee, a religio-political leader of the community. The other was a tax collector, an employee of the company that had the franchise to collect taxes in Israel. Now, in that day, Rome didn't care how much taxes the tax collectors gathered in any given district, so long as they submitted the amount of money that Rome demanded. They could collect as much taxes as they could collect, and it was theirs. They just submitted the amount that was demanded of them. And so tax collectors could be very wealthy, They could be greedy. It was not a well-liked or respected position. The Pharisees in Jesus' day clearly were seen as leading spokespersons for not just the Jewish temple, but for the Jewish society in general. After two disastrous wars in the years before Jesus' time, the Pharisees were trying to walk a kind of middle ground between those who wanted to rebel against Rome and those who would give up the Jewish life and cultural com- culture completely and become part of the dominating Roman world. 
And so it was a very real tension in the society. As an articulate leader, the Pharisee in our story saw his role before God and man as very important. The text says the Pharisee prayed to himself or reminded God certainly of all he was doing and, 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 and observing to try and be faithful despite the difficult times. He thanked God that he was not greedy or dishonest like so many, including perhaps this, this tax collector over here. He reminded God that he tithed regularly and that he fasted every week. In contrast, the tax collector stood off to one side, didn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but merely pleaded to God, O oh God, have mercy on a sinner like me. He did not imply that, along with all others, he maybe had slipped up once or twice, but presented himself as a sorry, remorseful sinner who was in need of being renewed. And Jesus concluded that the simple plea of the tax collector was far more real than the puffed-up prayer of the Pharisee, and that it was the tax collector who went home that day with God's blessing and guidance. There is also added to the text there uh, what was probably a proverb in Jesus' day. We don't know whether Jesus spoke it or whether Luke added it to the text. Uh, we simply don't know. And the proverb is this, For everyone who exalts, who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Kind of interesting turn on words there, isn't it? Well, what can we learn? from this very earthy story of Jesus. We can clearly take a fresh look at our Christian, our own Christian lifestyles of living. One preacher speaking of this particular story observed that humility is probably the most unpopular virtue called for in the Christian life. In our day, we look at humility and its opposite, pride, in opposite ways. We encourage pride in all kinds of things. We teach our kids to be proud, proud of who they are, what they have, or what they've done. We encourage others and all who will listen, remind them of the long heritage of our family, our community, our society. What was the country western song that used to be sung a little bit? The man says, and I'm proud to say I'm an American. Well, maybe not so proud these days, but anyway. We treat pride as a virtue, and we are suspect of most expressions of humility. We wonder what they're really up to, you know. Well, that's not entirely true, I guess. A bit of modesty never hurt anyone, but we don't want the ball team taking to the field in any kind of modest way, do we? We don't want them going out there on the field uh, thinking in a modest way, but we want them going out thinking that we are the very best, baby. Isn't that the way we want them to go out there? So we have this dilemma. And if we think about humility versus pride, it's a part of the questions we have about life today. So again, as in some of the contexts of Scripture, we run head-on into a life attitude that in following Christ is just the opposite 
of what our society condones and encourages. Why is humility before God, and presumably that would rub off some in how we relate to each other too, but why is humility such a big deal? Well, we can think about that a bit. For one thing, if we're doing a Bible study here together, as we said we're doing today, we would discover that the scriptures are shot full with accounts and comments about humility. You remember the prophet Micah, who wrote in his prophecies, You have been told, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now that's a pretty clear lifestyle, isn't it? Pretty clear picture of how we are to conduct our living. Again, if we go into the scriptures and clear into the Old Testament period, uh, we go back to the book of Genesis and the story of the, the ancient story of Adam and Eve and their misfortunes in the Garden of Eden. What was it about that story? Yes. They ate the forbidden fruit, which was to make them wise as gods. And about the only thing they noticed when they were so wise that they didn't have any clothes on. And they lost their home in paradise, according to the mythical story, at least. One story we mentioned earlier was of a man whose crops were too big for his barns and who decided to tear them down and build bigger barns, thinking he could then relax and enjoy a life of comfort. In Luke 12, we find God saying to that idea, You fool! You fool! For thinking that you can make a good life merely based on your material possessions. That should be a thoughtful story for all of us. All of us who take great pride in all the possessions that we have and uh, who like to congratulate ourselves on what success we have had in life and how hard we have worked and by implication what great business people we must have been. Even the familiar story of the prodigal son has a couple of lessons about humility in it. In the beginning, the younger son, with all of the arrogance of youth, wants his inheritance, and he wants it right now. And so his father gave him the inheritance. He went off with his inheritance someplace, squandered it, lost it. And then having lost the inheritance, when he returns home, we see the vanity and the anger of the older brother who having stayed faithfully at home working, resents the younger brother being welcomed home like a hero. The lack of humility prevents his being able to celebrate his brother's safe return home, whatever the circumstances were. So, humility is pretty basic to Jesus' message about living our lives. Well, where do we find ourselves then? Torn between the world's push to be proud of all that we think we are or that we claim to be, even by even flaunting our wealth or our knowledge or our beauty or our superior position over somebody else on the one hand, and the call of our Christian faith to live with deliberate humility about who we are, what we have, and what we do. 
How do we balance these two things in our lives? Well, it seems to me that the balance might be found in the tremendous realization of how much God expects of us. Christians are not called to just get along in life. We're not called to just survive. We are called to live exemplary lives, to practice the love God has shown us in all our relationships. We are to be, as Martin Luther once said, little Christs to one another. Little Christs to one another. Well, I can't speak for you, but I don't come very close to being a little Christ to anyone. And I do fail time and time again to do what I should do or to avoid doing what I shouldn't do. I don't know. Does anybody else here have that problem trying to live their life? Nah. <laughs> it calls to my mind the words of that old country western song that you've probably heard sung, Put Your Hand in the Hand. Know that song? You remember the verse? It says, every time I look into the holy book, I want to tremble. And when I read about the part where the carpenter cleared the temple, for the buyers and the sellers were no different fellers than what I professed to be. And it causes me pain to know I'm not the feller I should be. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from the Galilee. Yeah, we know that one, don't we? <laughs> and such humility can lead to assurance, to the sense that, that maybe, just maybe there is a closeness to God that is intended for each one of us, for each and every one of us, a closeness in living. But as you know, there's a but here. I always say there's a but. But the assurance is paper thin when it's self-assurance based on the size of our crops or our barns or our bank accounts. For tomorrow, all of that could change. If your belief in yourself, your life, and your purpose in living is based on your commitment to God and God's call to you each day and each hour to live in complete trust, that God will be with you in all things. And whatever tomorrow brings, you will be in good hands. And that's better than what all state can promise you. Paul, late in his brief life, writing to his protege Timothy uh, in our epistle passage, shows the assurance that we all seek. He says, My life is already poured out. The time has come for my departure. I've had a part in the great contest. I've run the race. I have kept the faith. And the crown of uprightness awaits me, which the Lord, the upright judge, will award me on that day. And he goes on to remind Timothy of the difficult things he's faced. At my first appearance in court, no one came to help me. 
Everybody deserted me. May they not be blamed for it. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that I might make a full presentation of the message. And so I was saved from the jaws of the lion. The Lord will rescue me from any harm and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.